Amen. Go for it, Joel. Amen. Thanks, guys. How's everyone doing? Good. Awesome. It is so good to be with you guys all here this morning in beautiful Detroit on this beautiful Palm Sunday in 2022. It's such a privilege for my younger brother. I know he looks older and he's taller than me, but he is younger than me. I'm the oldest, so we just need to get that straight. But it is, it's so great to have, have him here, here with me and with us. But I do want to say also to Paul and Minda and the, and the team here, it is, it's such a privilege, and I really appreciate just the opportunity to come in and be with you guys. We're serious about this thing. We are serious about partnership. This is not a, I hope, TED Talk. This is not a guest speaker. This is not a come in and then leave and and have nothing to do with each other anymore. We really are serious about this partnership thing, and we believe that God has given us these partnerships, that these are God-given partnerships, and we are so serious about just contending and being part of this thing together. And and I do just want to say, I, I always want to say this, I am extremely privileged to do what I get to do. We come from a place, or we live in a place called Denver, Colorado, and we are absolutely loving it there, and part of a great local church called Redemption City Church, and they all send their love um, to you and Sandy, if you know them, they send their love, the whole church sends their love. My parents, they send their love too, they, they wish that they could be here, and they've been here many times, but, but we're stoked that we get to be able to be here this morning. But I'm privileged with what I get to do. And I'm privileged with who I get to do it with, which is all of you wonderful people. Again, if you are, if Border City Church is home base for you, then you are in partnership with my local church back home. And I'm so grateful for that. And so I am grateful that we get to be in partnership and we get to do this together. I'm privileged with who I get to do this with. But most importantly, I am extremely privileged with who I get to do this for. And that's Jesus Christ. I mean, he is the reason that we are doing this thing. He's, he's the reason that you can convince Americans to move to South Africa and to move back here to plant a local church. It's like Jesus is the one thing. He's the reason for it all, and this all exists because of him. And, and love that scripture in Romans 11 that just says that from him and through him and to him are all things. That's talking about past, present, and future. From him, meaning the past, and through him, meaning the here and now, the future, and to him, meaning, or uh, through him, meaning the present, and then to him meaning the future. So it's so great to be here with you guys. If you guys have a Bible, will you turn in it with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read the scriptures this morning. I really believe that, that the Bible says much more important stuff than anything that I could say, that that, that is what counts. It's the Word of God. It's the already inspired, God-breathed, already empowered Word of God that we are called to live by and live through. And 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 just quickly, I mean, in light of just this season that's gone by, man, it's been crazy, hasn't it, the past two years, three years, four years, however long it's been now? It feels like it's a never-ending thing. But, but there has been so much good that has been taking place in the midst of all this craziness and chaos. There's been so much good that's been happening, so much that God has been doing. And, and I think sometimes we, we get so focused on the bad or we get so focused on what God's not doing that we end up missing all the things that he is doing. And I want to be someone, I pray the testimony of my life is that I was faithful in seeing and understanding and being more aware of what God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ were doing in and through my own life and our life together. And one of the biggest shifts that we've seen in the church has taken place in 
in the past season. And this is globally. We are seeing this globally. And I have a wonderful privilege of being able to travel often and, and, and visit different local churches. And one thing that we have totally been seeing is that we have come back to just simply what really matters, that we have moved as a church. We've moved from programs back to people. And I love that because Jesus, he is coming back for his people, not programs and ways, but his people. We've moved from ministry to maturity. That it's no longer just ministry and, and, and is my ministry successful, but rather is there maturity? Is there the spiritual maturity in the saints of Jesus Christ? Are people becoming more like Jesus Christ? We've moved from methods back to the mission. We've become mission-focused again. It's like, and we had to go sometimes through seasons like that. Who knows? Maybe we would have never been walking in what we're walking in today and, and pressing in as far as we are in God right now if we didn't go through this season that we have just been through. And, and one of the most amazing things, and this is one of my favorite things, is that God has been shaking anything that is not linked to his kingdom. Anything that is not linked to the kingdom of God, God has been shaking. In Hebrews 12, it says this. It says, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised one, the removing of what can be shaken. And it tells us what can be shaken. It says that is created things. So created things can be shaken. And then it tells us what cannot be shaken. It says this in, in, from verse 27 to 28. It says, so that what cannot, so what cannot be shaken may remain. And then it says in verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God accepting, acceptingly and with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And so anything, this, here's what we're seeing here in, in Hebrews 12, is that anything that can be shaken must be shaken, and it needs to be shaken, so that only which is the kingdom will stand. I love what Paul mentioned this morning, that we are trying to advance the kingdom. We're not trying to build an amazing, holy cathedral and, and, and holy huddle. We are serious about just the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so the tragedy for us going forward would be to not learn anything. If, if we can read and we can see clearly that whatever has not been linked to the kingdom of God, it has been shaken and it will continue to be shaken, then we've got to be able to say, you know what, Lord, I just want to contend for the kingdom of God. I want to build everything in a way that advances the kingdom of God. Otherwise, it's going to be shaken. The tragedy, again, would be for us to, to go back to what God took us out of, to what he rescued us from. It's like Proverbs uh, 26, 11. And if you know it, it just says, as a dog returns to its vomit... <laughs> So a fool repeats his foolishness. And it's not always, that's not in the context of sin. That's just fool, foolishness. And it would be foolishness for us to go back to what was. And so moving forward, we got to keep reminding ourselves that everything outside of this kingdom will be shaken. And, and the reason why I bring all this up is because I believe that the church, each local church, is called to be a kingdom culture church. That the culture within local churches, and I'm not talking about the culture of cities, because we praise God for, for the culture that is this city, this beautiful place of Detroit. And, and I'm saying be Detroit culture. Be that. Be where, what God called you to be. But within this local church, the culture needs to be that which is one of a kingdom culture. Not just a church culture, certainly not a worldly culture, but a kingdom culture within the local church. And God's called all churches to be like this. But I believe specifically for you guys, in this season, Border City Church, you guys are called to be a kingdom culture church. And culture, it's such a big thing, isn't it? It's in everything. 
It's in what we say and what we do. We, we see culture revealed through everything, through who we are. It's through the being of who we are. And, and culture, is, it's, it's, this is how we build culture. It's through what we celebrate, not just what we tolerate. It's what we actually celebrate and go, you know, we are celebrating that part of this life of the church. We are celebrating in that area. And because of that, culture is created where people can come in and people can see, you know what? These guys, they don't just tolerate this. They celebrate this specific area. And it's not just a one-off thing. It's not just what we celebrate once. It's what we celebrate continually and continuously. And let me just say this, too, that this is not a word for the, uh, for the leaders. This is not just for the leaders. This is not just for the elders, and this is not just for the deacons. This is a word for every single person. If you call Border City Church home base, if this is where God has called you, and planted you in, then this is a word for you, that you, you set the culture of this local church. You, you really do. And I know that for a fact because I know for myself, I'm not back home, back in Redemption City Church in Denver, Colorado. I'm not an elder, and I'm not a deacon. I'm not in a position or a role like that, but I have an authority as someone in the life of the local church because I see the local church as something that I need to contend for. I'm not just an attender. I'm a contender. But because of that, I can see how people imitate what I do and, and, and repeat what I do. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I have a lot more to do with the culture of this church than I thought. Like not being the guy with the position, but I still set the culture of this local church. It's, 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 it's set by the leaders and by the saints of this local church. And you have a role to play in this church. I hope that you're hearing this, friends, that that if God's called you here, you have a role to play in this church. And it is, one of them is to set good, godly culture, kingdom culture within the life of this church. And our right and responsibility as, as, as privileged followers of Jesus and based in local churches is that we have the right and responsibility to create a culture that reflects and honors Jesus Christ in every single way. And I've been praying for you guys as a church, and my prayer has been this, that that the culture of this local church would be one that reflects her bridegroom in every single way. And so I want to ask you for a sec, what is the culture of this local church? What kind of culture are you creating within this local church? Is it being too influenced to where the decision-making and, and the life of this local church is, is, is through worldly culture, or is it through the Bible and the kingdom of God? And so I love this text in Ephesians 1. We're going to read it right now, but I, I love it. It's, it's Paul. Um, writing to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to this church, this significant church, and he's writing, and in, in this portion of Scripture, he's revealing his prayer and his heart. Again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, but he's revealing his heart and his prayer for what he prays the culture of this local church, Ephesus, would be. And I believe it is one that, that reveals to us, it shows us just some signs of what a kingdom culture is supposed to look like. And so let's start reading it. In verse 15, we're going to start reading. Ephesians 1, 15, it says this. It says, for this reason, and then he says this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Can you say all the saints? All the saints. Verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Isn't that profound? I, I think we we can probably get better at that. I know me, myself, I can get better at that, that every time I remember someone, I thank God for them, and I remember them, and I, I, I pray with joy, and, and 
and I don't stop giving thanks to God for you. I want to get better at that. But the first thing that we see here that Paul's revealing is a sign of a kingdom culture church is that we celebrate our covenantal relationships. And this is a big deal. It really is a big deal. If you are serious about the kingdom, then you're not just in it for you and your local church, that you have been given a God-given global sphere of influence. You really have. You've been given a God-given sphere of influence. And I got to say for myself, I'm so grateful that God has put me and my local church in the context of something bigger. I think about it, and I'm like, man, if it was just us, like, that'd be, that's great, and that's cool. Like, Redemption City Church back home in Westminster, Colorado, like, 15 minutes in between Boulder and 15 minutes between uh, Boulder and, like, downtown Denver. But I'm like, man, by ourselves, there's not too much significance that we have. But because God's called us to the bigger picture, because he's called us to the kingdom and not just local church, there's something that we celebrate being part of the bigness. And we're serious about friendship, not just function. It's a big deal. It's one of our values that we hold as, as NCMI, but also as NCMI partnering churches, which, by the way, is you guys. But, but we celebrate friendship, not just function. And so I don't want to just come in and offload my latest and greatest revelation and then, hey, to heck with you guys from now on. It's like we are friends. Like we're friends and partners in this gospel. There's relationship and partnership. And, and that word partnership, when Paul writes in, in Philippians 1 and he says, he says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. I was talking about your active participation, that you're doing something. But it's not just that. It's also our relationship with one another. It's the relationship we have. And, and in Philippians 2.25, Paul writes, and I, I think he just speaks about how our relationships and responsibilities are supposed to be. He says, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. And then he says this to explain him. He says, my brother my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier in the gospel. Brother, we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That speaks of our relationship and our, our closeness together. My fellow worker, that speaks of our responsibility, that there's a responsibility that we are fellow workers in the gospel, and we are fellow soldiers, he says. And I'm like, man, that's so cool. They remind us that there's a battle out there, and we are on the same side. We are on the same team. As followers of Jesus, we are on the same team. And, and celebrating our covenantal relationships, it means this. It means celebrating our unity that we have together, that we are united under the one name of Jesus Christ. But it also means celebrating our diversity. It really does. It's both those things, our, our covenantal relationships. I remember the best way I can, or the best memory I have of this is, is we do something called equips. I don't know if you've, some of you have been to a, a, an equip before. And they are absolutely amazing. And they're just these, these conferences that we hold as NCMI for everyone. They're not just for the leaders. They're for every single person in partnering churches to come together under one roof and just to be equipped together, to be edified together, to, to worship Jesus and encounter him, to receive prophetic words and to give prophetic words, just to stir each other up and to just hear testimonies of what God is doing in your region of Detroit and into the regions around the nation, and we do these all around the world. And so they are incredible times. And every five years, we do something called a global equip. And so we had one in 2015. And basically, a global equip is where we get everyone in the world. So we have equips running in every country, like all throughout the year. So, I mean, we just had one in Brazil 
There's one coming up in Canada. Australia's got one in like a month's time. The U- U.S., we have one in June. June 22nd to 25th, I believe it is. This year, it's in Chicago, and my hope and prayer is that you would be there. It, you need to be there. Let me tell you, you're missing out if you're not there. Like, it is, it's a li- it's life-changing time. You could be going forward in the things of God and head over heels and running face first in the things of God, and it still would be a life-changing time for you. It's, we love these times, and we just see the value of partnership together. But, but every five years, we, we stop all those regional equips, and we do something called a global equip where we get everyone under one roof in the whole world. And it's crazy, and it's wild. And so we did one in 2015. It was the first one we ever did, and there were about 7,000 people there. Under one roof in South Africa. We did it in Johannesburg, South Africa. And it was so incredible. There were people represented from over 40 nations around the world under one roof praising the name of Jesus. And I remember just looking around as a 15-year-old kid just going, oh my goodness, this is magnificent. This is crazy. This is nations and generations just praising Jesus. We are united under the one name of Jesus Christ. But I remember looking around and these guys are singing in, in Brazil or in Portuguese, and these guys are singing in English, and these guys are singing in bad English, and <laughs> all these different things. And I remember just going, man, this is the most incredible thing to witness, to be part of. It's, it's, it's so profound. And, and that's what I mean by celebrating that we have unity, but we celebrate the different cultures. Because, because we are global, because you are global, there are so many different expressions and cultures and, and faces, and, and we look different and sound different and talk different. There's such variety to what we've been called to, but we celebrate who God created us to be. Amen? Let's keep reading. Verse 17 in, in Ephesians 1, it says this. He says, I keep asking. What does that mean? That means it was not a once-off prayer. He means he keeps coming back and asking for the same thing again and again. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And so the first thing we saw is is a sign of a kingdom culture church is that we celebrate our covenantal relationships. The second thing is this, that we celebrate our revelation. We celebrate knowing Jesus Christ. We celebrate that. And this is the most important thing, friends. If we don't understand this, none of the other stuff matters. It really doesn't. The covenantal relationship stuff, it means nothing without Jesus. Because of Jesus, it has value. But it's got to be put and linked under Jesus Christ. It's got to come under the place of Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters. I love that Paul reveals here the purpose of wisdom and revelation. And I'm a 21-year-old guy, and I'm like, those are two things I ask for more than anything else, is wisdom and revelation. I meet people who are older than me, who are much wiser than me, and I'm like, man, I want to learn. I meet people that are younger than me, that are much wiser than me, and I'm like, man, I want to learn. And I ask God for revelation more than anything else. More than any other prayers and petition, I pray to Jesus that he would give me revelation of him each and every moment of every day. And Paul reveals the purpose of that revelation, why we receive wisdom and revelation. It's not so that we can, we can come on a Sunday morning and offload our truth to everyone else. It's not so we can tell everyone else what to do. It says, I pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation so that you would know Jesus better. We've got to keep pressing in to know Jesus 
more and more. And that word know, it comes from the Greek word gnosko. And that word gnosko, it speaks of intimacy and experience, like personal, personal relationship. It's not know of, it's know intimately and personally for yourselves. And so we've got to press on to know Jesus more. That's what Hosea says. Let us press on to know the Lord more. I love what Paul writes in Philippians 3. I'm like switching between Ephesians and Philippians this morning. But, and I, I hope you're here. I'm talking about Paul the Apostle, right? I love this man, Paul. Paul was a, this guy is a legend, absolute legend. So there, there it says another Paul. Come on. So we got Paul the Apostle, we got Paul the legend, and then we got Paul the, <laughs> I'll have to meet you afterwards, but the, the goat, the goat, <laughs> the drummer. Uh, that's awesome. Hey, lots of Pauls. That's a, that's a great name. Any Saul's in here that we need to change to Paul? No, <laughs> I'm just joking. But, but Paul, I, Philippians 3 is, is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And, and he, Paul just says this. He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he was ta- he, the context of that was he was talking about all these accolades and things in his life where he was the best of the best. If anyone could be righteous in their own strength, it was Paul. He was like number one. He was elite in his class. He was tribe of tribes. He was, he was number, like he was the best of the best. And here he is saying that I consider all things a loss because of just simply this, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He let go of 30 years 30 years of, of pressing to be righteous in his own strength, realizing he could only be righteous in Jesus. And then he says this. He says, I consider them rubbish, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from uh, the law, but one through which is in faith in Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God. And then he says this in verse 10. He says these pow- five powerful words. He says, I want to know Christ. And I'm sitting there going, man, they say that, that Paul wrote this, this letter to the, the, the church in Philippi, Philippians, 27 years after he had the encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And if you read about it in Acts chapter 9, it was like Paul literally, or Saul was his name at that point, and he was literally going to persecute Christians, to put them in prison, to have some of them killed and beaten. And he was on his way to do this, and he has this encounter with Jesus Christ to where he's blinded, and, and, and Jesus goes, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And his response was so profound. He had been denying Jesus, and all of a sudden he says, who are you, Lord? He has this revelation of Christ to where it is so real that he didn't know who it was, but he just knew this is the Messiah. Who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he was blinded for three days, and then and then after three days, he could see again through, through, through the hands of uh, Barnabas, laid hands on him and prayed for him. And it says that once he began to go preach and share about what had happened in the synagogues and the temples. At once. And so it was like this, this fire that Paul had of this zeal for righteousness and, and having Israel be righteous before God. When he met the righteous one, the passion was still there. But it was now, this is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can make us righteous. But he says, I want to know Christ. He's like, Paul heard the audible voice of Jesus Christ. Profound leader, apostolic. And here he is, 27 years later, saying, I want to know Christ. 
But Paul had this understanding. He knew that he could never know Jesus enough, that there was always more for him to walk in, that there was more knowledge and revelation for him to walk into. It's so amazing. And we see, I mean, in Colossians 1.10, he says this, he says, and we pray in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Who wants to live a life worthy of the Lord in here? I know I do with all my heart. And may please him in every way. I want to please him in every way. He says this, this is how you do it, bearing fruit in every good work. But the second thing he says, growing in the knowledge of God. And so we've got to press on to continue to grow in our revelation of Jesus. We celebrate it, but we continue to grow in it too. And my dad says this. He says, a, a constant correct view of Christ will give us a constant correct view of everything else. We need an ongoing revelation of Jesus in order for everything else to be worked out, in order for us to see everything else for how Jesus has called us to see it. We need to keep coming back to our revelation of Jesus Christ. We've got to keep our revelation of Jesus fresh in our lives. Fresh. Don't let your revelation of Jesus go stale. Keep it fresh. Think about it. Even your favorite food, if it's stale, you don't want it. It's like the best thing ever. If it's stale, you don't want it. So keep your revelation of Jesus Christ fresh. We need to celebrate Him, this church. If we want to be a kingdom culture church, we've got to celebrate the King more than anything and anyone else. This is all for Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you, is Jesus, is he the focus of your life? Or is he just featured in your life? He's got to be the focus. Is, is he, my dad says this, is, is Jesus, is he preeminent? Or is he just prominent? Does he have first place in your life? Or is he just a part of your life? He needs to be the head. He's the head of the church. And we are the church. So he is the head of us the fullness of him who fills us in every single way. Amen? So secondly, again, as I said, we need a, to celebrate knowing Jesus Christ and contend to know Jesus Christ more and more and more. And how that happens, let me just practically just quickly say this, that, that is through the Word of God. How do we grow in our revelation of Jesus? If you can go read, I don't, I, it's not in my notes, and I don't have time to mention it this morning, but, but Proverbs 2, if you read Proverbs 2, or is it three? Two. <laughs> just read Proverbs 2 and 3, just in case. Read more of the Bible. I think it's two. Proverbs 2, verses 2 to 5. If you go read that, I, it's, a, it's a scripture where Solomon writes, and he, he, he expresses how to grow in our revelation of Jesus, how to grow in the knowledge of God. And, and there's many things that he says there, but, but one of them is, is he says... Um, uh, the second thing he says, so he says, my son, if you obey my commands, so if you walk in obedience, that's the first thing he says in, in verse, actually it's verse one. <laughs> okay, Proverbs 2, 1 to 5, go read that. That's it. The Lord's speaking it now. Okay, I'm going to stop talking about that. Pro read the whole Bible. It's in the whole Bible, Revelation of Jesus. <laughs> Proverbs 2, 1 to 5, he says, my son, if you accept my words, which means we walk in obedience, we don't just receive the words. We accept them. And then it says, and treasure up my commands within you. If we see the true worth of the word of God, and then later on it says, then, then you'll grow in revelation or you'll grow in the knowledge of God. And so there is a direct correlation between the word of God and Jesus Christ. There is, it, 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 and it's so direct to where I 
think we probably will never completely understand it. But what I do understand is this, that, that Jesus, he has many names in the Bible, and it's amazing. He's got thousands and thousands of names. I mean, it's like, he's the great I am. He's the Messiah. He, in Revelation 19, it says that he is faithful and true. That was his name. All these wonderful names of Jesus. One that I think we often forget is Jesus' name. He is the Word of God. John 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that's not to say, hey, there were some books in the beginning before anything else. There were these books. It's to say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 2, it says this. It says, He, He, can you say He? He, that's speaking of a person. He was with God in the beginning is what it says. And Jesus, the, other, the Bible also says that the Word became flesh. Jesus is the incarnate Word of God. And so it's so amazing how many people want to grow in their revelation of Jesus, but to be honest, are, are quite unwilling and unwanting to read the Word of God. It's like every single word in the Bible reflects the nature of Jesus Christ. So if you want to grow in your revelation of Jesus, it's through the Word of God, through applying the Word of God in and through your lives. Does that make sense? Amazing. Let's read verse 18 now. It says this, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. And so thirdly, we need to be able to celebrate each other's calling. And I want to say to you this morning, I don't know all of you extremely well, but, but God has a call on your life. He has a call for you guys as a local church together, but he also has a call on you individually. And, and you've got to know that you're called. You have to be able to say that I am called, me personally, I am called of God. And it's him, Jesus, who calls us and qualifies us, not from anything we've done, whether good or bad in the past, whether good or bad right now, whether good or bad in the future. The call of God is not dependent on us. It's all dependent on what he has already done for us. The message translation just says this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It says that it's God's gift from start to finish. And that's speaking of that, that scripture, Ephesians 2, um, of it's not grace that you've been saved through faith. It's the gift of God. And the message translation puts it that it's God's gift from start to finish. You and I, we, we really don't deserve our calling. This call of God on my life, I'm so grateful for it, but I don't deserve it in any way nor do I know anyone who deserves their calling, but God just freely gives. And we have the responsibility to, to, to walk into our calling. Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. We've been given a calling. We've been given a trust. Are we proving faithful with the trust? And are we celebrating each other's calling? We have the calling for the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Hello, friends. <laughs> that didn't stop during COVID. Jesus didn't forget about that when COVID hit. We have the Great Commission. It is your and my responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission. And so our calling is to make disciples and to, to take the whole world for Jesus and to, we have a mission, we've been given a mission to make disciples of all nations. Not just this nation, all nations. Every single nation and we have a divine calling. What the gospel does, I love this, is the gospel, it doesn't take bad people and make them good. It takes dead people and brings them to life. And we have been entrusted with that calling 
that we are the ones who's called to make disciples. Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always till the end of the age. So he sends us on his behalf. He's given us the authority, but he sends us and says, I'm going to be with you forever and ever. And there's also an individual calling on every person's life. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them to, just as God called them. So there's an individual calling on your life. And we have to just be able to settle in our hearts, friends, that we are called by God. It's like I, I found that when we haven't settled our calling in God, we begin to look to the praise of people, and we begin to look to people-pleasing. And God has not called us to people-please. I mean, Paul writes in Galatians 1 and says, if I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't even be a servant of Jesus Christ. We're not called to people-please, but we, when we are unsettled in our calling, it's like we live for that approval of people, like the affirmation of people. And someone once said, if you live for people's acceptance, you will die by people's rejection. <laughs> we got to stand on the rock that is Jesus Christ and the call of God on our lives. May I say this too? Maybe, maybe it's jealousy. Je- jealous of someone else's calling. I, I, can I be, if just, I'm just being honest, just being vulnerable. I've, I've been in that way before. I've been, seen, seen people around me all around the world, and I'm like, man, why did God call them to all these wonderful things and not me? And to be honest, I don't, I don't know all the answers, but I do know that, that we cannot be jealous over someone else's calling. And I remember there literally being times where it's like, I was so jealous of someone's calling that I actually began to resent this person and hope and not pray, but kind of hope that they would like stumble or they would like they would fall short, or they wouldn't live up to the calling, or they wouldn't prove themselves, or they would mess up at times. That is the most ungodly thing, friends. And I'm like, we've got to continue to remember that we need to celebrate each and every single person's calling. And someone said that jealousy is when you count someone else's blessings instead of your own. Can we look around and go, you know what, God, you've been good in my own personal life, and I celebrate you for that. And you've been good in this person's life, and I celebrate you for that. And I, I, kingdom culture church is, is one that celebrates each and every individual's calling. When someone else is getting platform, celebrate them. When someone else is, is, is getting recognition, celebrate them. And ultimately, Jesus has to be the one getting all the glory. But when, when people get lifted up and encouraged and, and stirred, it's like there can be that, hey, I'm, I'm jealous right now. I'm getting nothing. I'm getting none of the airplay. But let's celebrate each other's callings and realize that we are about the kingdom. Next, it says this. It says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And so that word inheritance, it, it speaks of our future. It's more than just like materialistic things that we get in, to inherit. It's, it's, it speaks of our future together. And so the next one is that we need to celebrate our future. And I love that. I love that Paul references here. And even the language that he uses is absolutely amazing. The riches of his glorious inheritance that we get to share in. And so a kingdom culture church is so intentional, needs to be so intentional about being generational. 
We really do. And I love looking around and going, man, there are people from all sorts of generations here. I, lo I absolutely love it. I love talking to people who are younger than me, older than me, same age as me, every single age and generation. I love it because, I mean, Lamentation says this. It says, like, your throne, O Lord, rules. You, O Lord, rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. And it's a picture of the kingdom of God that, that there are generations present, but we're also making decisions, and where we're going is with generations in mind. You know, we think in, in days, months, and years, but God is a God of generations. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He thinks in generations. So he is not thinking right now about the here and now. He is so concerned with the next generation and the generation coming through. And it's been such an incredible privilege for me. I've seen, and even my brother, we've seen how people have invested in us from a young age. I mean, my parents have, have done an incredible job investing us in us and including us in, in the things we need to be included in and, and involving us. And I can, I, I mean, I hope and pray that it's paying off now in, in these years. And, and even the guy, uh, TK and Sandy, the people that lead our church, they have invested in us. I mean, TK had me leading a connector when I was 16 years old. That was not a smart thing to do. I was a deacon at 16 years old. And like, it's risky. It really was. But I hope and pray that it's paid off. And I really, I feel like I'm walking in the fruit of what people invested in me years and years ago. And what people invested and, and what people have pioneered and labored and, and hearing stories about what God has done in people's lives. And we get to live in the fruit and blessing of that. And so even people in this room that have just invested in me. And I want to say thank you, Jesus, that there are people who are serious about generational. My dad's always said that if we want to build with the next generation, or if we want to build for the next generation, then we need to build with the next generation. And so I'm, as a 21-year-old, I'm thinking now, because there's apparently, I'm a gen, what am I, Josh? Gen Z? Gen Z. We just talked about this the other day. There's like another generation that's now come after me, and then another one that's like just getting started. I'm like, man, I got to now start contending for the next generation. It used to be like everyone was contending for me as the next generation, and now it's like, okay, what's my role and my responsibility for the next generation? So I want to ask you, what is God calling you to in terms of investing in the next generation for our glorious inheritance together? And then verse 19. So that was celebrating our future. Verse 19, it says this, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. It says, talking about his power, it says, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted, he demonstrated, he proved in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that could ever be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And so, lastly, it's my last point. You guys have been amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Mickey. But lastly, we need to celebrate the resurrecting power that we've been given. We are a powerful people. We just read that. That, that the power for us who believe is like the power that raised Jesus from the dead. So the same power that lived in Jesus when he was raised from the dead, that same power lives in those who 
believe. And when you delegate someone to do something on your behalf, you give them the authority, but you also give them the, the power to do something. So that's what Jesus did. And we read it in Matthew 28. He gave us the authority. And then in Acts 1.8, it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we've been given authority, and the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And if you've received the Holy Spirit, then you have been given power, power from on high, power to be. And it's not, yes, it's not just power. It's, there's a reason why we're giving this. There's a purpose to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're given power, not just power. We're given power to be witnesses. Now, what does that mean? We're given power to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that word power comes from the word dunamis. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, but it speaks about our ability to be. It has more to do with ability than like this dynamite blowing up power. It's our ability to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And it's so amazing. I love just thinking about this, that out of everything that Jesus could have left with us, out of everything he could have left for us, the thing that he chose to leave us was the Holy Spirit and power. Isn't that amazing? Out of all the things, he could have left us money, he could have left us buildings, he could have left us all this stuff, people, or he did leave us people, but he, he left us the Holy Spirit to transform people. That's so amazing. So we've got to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. We've got to trust the Holy Spirit. We are powerful people, friends. Christians are supposed to be ones of power, not weakness and, and being timid in every situation, but powerful people and bold people. Be a people and a church who walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Someone once said this about our church, and it was an incredible, incredible compliment and testimony. They, they said that our local church, that we punch above our weight class. And, and I was like, man, that is so cool. And what they were saying is like, like you guys, I mean, because we're not like a significantly large church. Like we're quite a small church. And like you guys are doing so much more like in your area and in your sphere of influence and even into the nations of the world, you're punching above the weight class for the size of your church. Like you're in like a, like you're a lightweight and you're in like heavyweight status, like doing that kind of work. And I want to say, can I challenge you guys as a church to punch above your weight class? It's not when you get to a certain amount. Once your church hits a certain amount of, of people in the life of the church, then you can start operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was like you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It was like, for those 12 disciples, but also all the people that were there at the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people ended up getting saved in that one day. It's amazing, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit operating. These are acts. The book of Acts is acts of the Holy Spirit, not just acts of the early apostles in the early church. And this is a sign of, as I mentioned, kingdom culture church, to be convinced of the power of the Holy Spirit to move, to see signs, wonders, and miracles. You know, we've been seeing crazy physical healings. It's been insane. I mean, even in my own life, my legs, like about three weeks ago, I had my legs grow. So, you know, you have that, like, most people have, like, a little bit of a um, different, like, size. Like, one of their leg lengths is a little bit longer than the other. And, like, mine, I went to a chiropractor, and they said mine was two inches shorter. My left leg was two inches shorter. And we went home, and I was freaking out a bit. And I, we prayed. My mom prayed for me. I was looking away. We were sitting in the kitchen. I looked away for a sec while she was praying. I had a little bit of faith. I didn't have much faith, to be honest. But 
I looked back, and my legs were the exact same length. And I was like, oh, my goodness. This is like a quick, simple prayer. And, and, and even a guy at our gym who, he's, he's a buddy of mine, but he, he goes to the gym, and, and he tore his ACL for a second time. And, and he wanted to be a firefighter, and, and they told him, hey, if you tear that same ACL twice, you can't be a firefighter, and you can't play sports ever again. He's a big, sporty dude. And he was just like a wreck. Like, he was a mess after he... He had just torn his, his ACL like two months ago, maybe. And we had just been praying for him and really believing that God would heal him. Like this had ramifications more than just like a bit of an injury. And so we were praying for him and interceding with him so much and really just believing, like laying hands on him in the middle of the gym and just praying that God would just fill him with the Holy Spirit so that his leg would be healed. And, and he, he felt good. Like his leg like started feeling like better and better. And we're telling him like, hey, man, like, we really believe that when you go to get your checkup, the next time you have a checkup, that it's no longer going to be an ACL tear. And so he went in. This was about two weeks ago. And the, he, we got a text 10 minutes later saying, guys, you will not believe it. It's, it's not an ACL tear anymore. It's a bad sprain. And this guy is just like, he's mind-boggled, and he's pressing into the things of God. And he's recently started, like, coming to our church a lot more and stuff now. We're just like, man, Jesus is moving. And Mark 16 says, that signs, wonders, and miracles will accompany those who believe. It's like there's such power in just believing. And that word believe, it, it, I mean, it comes from the Greek word. I promise I'm almost done. It comes from the Greek word pistio. I don't know, even know how you would say it. But, it, but what that word means is, is it's not like, hey, like, oh, I believe I'll be there at 5 p.m. tonight. It's like, yeah, right, whatever. It's like it means to be convinced of to be, like, extremely established and sure of. And so I'm wondering, for you in this room, do you believe that the power and the presence of God can move through your own life? You can read it in the Bible and go, man, that was so cool. You can see it in, in, in leaders and go, man, okay, it's just for them. But do you believe in and through your own life that the power of God can move? Because we are called to be a powerful people, resurrecting power. There's no power like it. The one thing that comes to all of us is death. So one thing that comes to every person on the place of the, fa- the, on the on the place on the face of the planet, and our King Jesus, which is what we celebrate around this Easter time. But can we celebrate this daily that He is resurrected and He's given us this resurrecting power? And I just want to encourage you guys and speak boldness over you to be bold, to be a kingdom culture church that walks in the fullness of what God has for them. Is that okay?